The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. Today's buzz, the cloud. Let's get started. The fast-growing cloud is bringing us into what we call a new age of marketing, where content, customers, and conversation reign. That's a lot to grasp. Yep, we're seeing a marketing revolution as companies shift from outbound to inbound marketing, very different from what a lot of you are used to. Some observers go so far as to say, are you ready for this? The marketing funnel is dead. OMG, say what? In order for your marketing organization to play well and win big in this arena, because that's what you hired them for, You'd better know what success looks like in this bold new future that very possibly is already here today. So get ready to find out more. I have a panel of four experts who are going to share their insights, their knowledge, their passion for this new age of marketing. So let's get started. First up is Doug Kern. He's Director of Marketing at Enfusion. That's a small N and a capital F Fusion. And he quotes Edward Deming, U.S. statistician from 1900 to 1993, the late Edward Deming said, in God we trust, all others must bring data. I love this one. Doug Kern, welcome to HR Trends with Game Changers. How are you today? Hey, Bonnie. Thanks. Uh, Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, and it's great to be here uh, with Jill and Florian and Jamie. And just to kick off, i got to say it's an amazing time to be in marketing today, and two big reasons. First, we're in the middle of this enormous change in how customers learn, who they trust, who they don't trust, how they buy. And much of this is driven by the rise of search, which is the first place folks go to for information, uh, the rise of social and self-publishing and word of mouth, and the rise of mobile, uh, which is amazing. Uh, I saw a stat the other day that 80% of us have uh, a smartphone within arm's length 24-7. Uh, the second big reason is, as marketers, we now have access to all this underlying data and how customers engage, and we have access to easy-to-use uh, marketing automation software. And this is really uh, – this combination is really a game-changer, uh, but it's not about data for data's sake. It's more about helping you gain the insights as they happen so you can deliver more relevant, engaging content to your audience, optimize and test to see what works, and drive more business. So that quote about, in God we trust uh, and all others bring data, uh, is more about the optimization and the real-time uh, nature of marketing today. So thanks for having me. 
Oh, Doug, pleasure to have you on. Great start to our topic. I have a question for you. In my opening, I said it was a marketing revolution. Is it an evolution? I also said, I think it may already be here today. The future is here. Is this a revolution? Is it something where we can put edges around it and demarcate the start of it? Or is it, has it been creeping into marketing language and marketing methods and styles for a number of years? Just a quick thought on that, Doug? I think we're in the middle of it. I think uh, I think Google with search really re- started the revolution, but I think as the trickle down, there are an enormous number of companies who haven't quite gotten the shift to content, to getting found more easily uh, online, and really you know stopping the spray and pray outbound old school mode. So I think uh, it's been going for a while, but I think we still have a ways to go with a lot of companies to adopt uh, that new kind of process. Thank you very much, Doug. Appreciate that. Let's turn to our second panelist. And Doug mentioned their names. I'm getting around introducing them now. Florian Brody is with us. He's Managing Director at Brody and Partners. And Florian sent me a very interesting quote. It's from somebody named Dogen. I can't even pronounce. I think uh, all of the notations are in German or something very exotic. So here's the quote from Dogen. It's, as the moon is reflected on the water, the moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. We're reciting poetry here. Florian Brody, welcome. How are you today? Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm very excited to join today. We're delighted, too. So talk to me. You picked this interesting quote. Tell me, how does this relate to our topic? When you uh, look at the uh, the way the cloud develops and how clouds uh, also always uh, reflect on the ground as a shadow, then uh, understanding how global social marketing ultimately reflects on every single customer, that's an essential skill that the next generation marketer has to have. Data is essential, there's no question, but data is not everything. And we are currently in a uh, marketing uh, status where everything is about data, and that's just not enough. Understanding how a very, very wide light is reflected even the smallest point, I think, uh, is a good understanding how one-to-one marketing will finally be able to work. Now, Dogen wrote this in 1233, mm-hmm. and it's actually not German, it's Japanese. Uh, he uh, was a Buddhist philosopher. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. And uh, um, I find it very interesting to uh, see how marketing will change over the next few years in a way that it hasn't changed in the last 150 years. Mm. So tell me, Florian, do you agree with Doug that we're in the middle of this so-called revolution into the new age of marketing and some companies just haven't gotten it yet? Or do you think it's a gradual something that's just going to take its time and stretch for a long time in the future? What's your observation? Um, I think it's both. Um, We see a, a dramatic change and there are many, many things that are poorly understood that both inside of companies as well as how companies communicate to customers. And so, yes, there's always a gradual change, but I think we're in the middle of a major step forward 
driven by the fact that data is so widely available that it's no longer the core of marketing. Hmm. Okay, thank you, Florian. Appreciate your adding your thoughts to Doug Kearns. And let's turn to our third panelist. It's Jill Rowley, JillRowley.com. And I am delighted to announce that Jill was recently named by Forbes as the number one most influential woman in social selling. That's a wow. Congratulations, Jill. And I know it's well earned. And you sent me a very provocative quote, my dear. The quote is, if you suck offline, you're going to suck even more online. Jill Rowley, welcome to HR Trends with Game Changers. How are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you today? Wonderful. So pleased to have you on the show. And you've been tweeting and tweeting and tweeting, and you're still doing it. Some guests can tweet and talk at the same time. I see you're one of those. So thank you. And by the way, anybody wants to join the Twitter party, we've got quite an active tweet stream going here at hashtag SAP Radio. Jill, talk to me about your quote, offline, online. How does this relate to what we're terming the new age of marketing in the cloud? Go ahead, please. Sure, absolutely. Well, I spent over a decade building the marketing automation space with Eloqua, and I was an individual quota-carrying sales professional um, all 10-plus years that I was with Eloqua. So my customers were marketing professionals, um, all the way from the CMO to the VP of demand generation to the director of marketing communications to the marketing automation specialist to the email um, expert to the database analyst. So I spent over a decade really understanding the transformation that was occurring in marketing to the modern buyer. And what I have not seen is as much evolution and adaptation of sales. And sales professionals are out there selling like it's 1999. Mm -hmm. And what they haven't figured out is that the modern buyer is digitally driven. Um, She's socially connected. She's mobile with multiple devices, and she's empowered not only with unlimited access to information that she can gather via the web, but also unlimited access to people, people she can find and relate to and connect with and engage with via social networks. So one of the things that I'm super excited about is to take all of the knowledge that I developed over the decade plus of working with Eloqua to transform the way that marketing professionals market to the modern buyer and take all of that learning and help transform the way that sales professionals sell to the modern buyer, which isn't selling at all. And this is where the sucking part comes in because Mm -hmm. you suck if you sell. You suck if you're always be closing, selly, selly, pitchy, pitchy, product-focused, narcissistic, (laughs) self-absorbed, look at how great we are, look at how great our company is, look at all the awards our company won, look at how great I am, look how many quarters I crushed my quota, look how many President's Club trips I went on. You suck, right? And so if you suck offline, you're going to suck more online. The modern buyer doesn't want to be sold to. She wants someone to help her buy. She wants someone to help her buy products and services that solve her business problems. And so I say we can't take old school methodology and approach of driving and jamming our sales process down the buyer's throat and adapt that to social networks. We need to actually transform our relationship with the buyer because we're living in the age of the customer, Mm -hmm. not in the age of the seller. So you would agree, as I introduce the topic, that we are in the age of content, customers, and conversation. Does that sum it up pretty well, Jill? Well, I would add cocktails to that, too. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm going to pop that into my notes here so that when I revisit this for blogging, yeah, we're going to have and cocktails there. I like that. That's a good place for conversation. Now, quick question for you, Jill Rowley. Do you agree with what Doug Kern put out there in, in his intro that we are in the midst of this revolution, that it's starting to ta- that it's midstream and some companies just don't get it. And I think you were alluding to them when you said pitchy, pitchy, selly, selly. We've got to embroider that somewhere, Jill, at least put it on a T-shirt. So what do you think? Where are we in this change? Is it a paradigm shift that's fast or is it going to take a long time? I think that the older companies, the more established companies that have been doing things the way they've been doing them for 40 plus years, it's harder. It's a much harder transformation because they don't have 10 people in marketing. They don't have two people in marketing. They have 10, they have a thousand people in marketing. And so to, to transform that entire organization, that's where new skills have to be brought into the organization and, a, and a, really an unlearning, right? You've got to unlearn what you've always been doing. And I'll, I'll just say, like, I worked at Oracle for 10 months and 17 days. Talk about narcissistic, self-absorbed, Oracle's number one in this category and that category. The ads are all about Oracle, not about the customer. That was a massive um, uh, difference from what I did at, at Eloqua um, for 10 years, where we, where our focus was all about how we make our customers better and how we help our customers transform their businesses. And so I think the older and bigger the company, the harder this is going to be because you have so many more people to retool and train. And maybe the, the leadership hasn't really figured out like how they're going to actually massively move that tanker engine in a new direction. So I think the younger companies that are, you know, early stage startup, they get it. They get that we're living in the age of the customer. They get that it's mobile, social, digital, online. And they, they, they just, it's a lot easier to not have to change. It's to start, to start the right way of doing things from day one. Mm-hmm. And it is revolutionary. Thank you so much, Jill. And now I'm going to turn to our fourth panelist. He's no stranger to SAP Game Changers Radio. As a matter of fact, he's so proud of it. He puts that in his bio. We are so flattered. It's Jamie Anderson, Global <laughs> VP of Product Marketing for SAP's LOB Customer Solutions. And here's a quote from Jamie. He says, the future of marketing, it's the end of the marketing list as we know it, I hope. Welcome back, Jamie Anderson. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. It's, uh, it's great to be here with you, as always. Thank you very much. So talk to me about your quote. Are we really done with marketing lists? And, and reflecting back on what Jill said, is it really a new age and everything has changed? What's your observation, Jamie Anderson? Well, yeah, I hope so. Um, and listen, uh, Ms. Rowley, Jill, amen, right? I'm 100% with you. I know we've had one or two kind of Twitter exchanges over the last few months on some of these topics, particularly social selling. I am 100% with you. The um, the thing in particular, I, I thought this marketing list one was funny in two ways, right? Because uh, as, a, as a kind of senior marketing leader, I get a lot of spam and uh, I quite enjoy reading it. Some of it is uh, some of it's quite creative. So, you know, I find that quite amusing. But the thing I love was I keep getting people trying to sell me lists, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing that made me laugh and why I brought this up was twofold. I was actually sitting thinking about an REM song, It's the End of the World as We Know It, recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody sent me a list trying to sell me a list. And they said, Dear Julian, 
you may be interested in this list of top 100 X company customers. And I was laughing because I thought, you're trying to sell me a list and you don't even know my name. You know, like, <laughs> and anybody that, anybody that thinks to me, I mean, the irony there was phenomenal. So I thought, I'm going to put a song to that. I'm going to put the end of the world as we know it to that, uh, that little line there. And I loved that, you know, Jill brought out, you know, it's time to market like it's 1999, kind of paraphrasing Prince. I love that. And yes, there's the like Prince that, reference. I was going to say you know, it too, I, yes. <laughs> absolutely. So we're in this new age, and anybody that thinks that, you know, email marketing based on lists and all this is a demand signal at all, is completely missed the point of social selling and engaging with these new digital customers on the channels they're on, these empowered customers that actually want to seize the journey themselves. They want you to accompany them when it's appropriate at each stage through the buyer journey. They do not want to be sold to. That's uncool. But they do at certain points in that buyer's journey as they dip in and out need help. So it is a change. You know, it is the end of this kind of market and list world as we know it. And hopefully it's something a lot more fruitful for all of us. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate that. And question for you, of course, before we go to our What's in Your Cup today segment. Jamie, revolution, evolution, where are we in this process called the introduction of the new age of marketing in the cloud? Are we halfway there? Are we three-quarters of the way there? How much time before companies, the big companies, really catch up? What's your thought? I think customers are driving a revolution. I think that big companies are undergoing an evolution. But my concern is that within big companies, that evolution will not be fast enough. And, you know, the upstarts and the, you know, the companies that Jill spoke about that are naturally more agile and attuned to mm-hmm. what today's customer are looking for will seize advantage. So I think, I think there's a note of caution in that. I think, you know, if I was playing with words, I think that the revolution that big companies need to go through is a rapid evolution because they won't change wholesale overnight, but they need to evolve faster. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate that. And yes, I was going to poke in that that reference to Prince 1999. So thank you for bringing it up. Uh, okay, everyone. I have a very tough question for the whole panel. You know what's coming, and it's probably the hardest question I'll ask you during the entire hour. What's in your cup today? And the reason is that HR Trends with Game Changers is part of our umbrella series called Coffee Break with Game Changers. Therefore, let's start with Doug Kern. Doug, first of all, where are you calling from today? And give me a great story. What's in your cup or what do you wish was in your cup? Go ahead, Doug. Hey, Bonnie. I'm calling from the, the sunny uh, city of Austin, Texas. Uh, and in front of me, I've got a very overly expensive cafe latte. I'm a bit of a coffee snob. And uh, if you're ever in Austin, go check out Cafe Medici. They're the best. And on a related note, I did some awesome road trips last year with my family, 5,000 miles, coast to coast. And those little Starbucks Via packets saved my tail a number of times since you can go into any truck stop and uh, get hot water and get your fix. So that's my that's nice to hear you can get a fix in a truck stop. That's news. Okay, somebody's got to tweet that. Let's turn to Florian Brody. Florian, I know you're in Austria. Are you calling from Vienna? I'm calling from Vienna. I'm originally from Vienna, but today nowadays I live in San Francisco and I work in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And coffee is such an interesting topic. Um, Vienna is the city with the best coffee houses in the world, par none. There's no question that the social environment of the Vienna coffee house cannot be copied. But when it comes to coffee, to actual the stuff in the cup, I get way better coffee at the moment in San Francisco. And I think this really reflects 
this revolution we've been talking about also in marketing, it's no longer about the environment. It's really about the product. You can sell as much as you want, and I agree with Jill, you should, you have to stop selling. Um, it's about what customers expect and the quality that is being expected and uh, what people actually want to drink, have, buy, live with the environment they want to have. Combining the environment of, Vienna, of the Vienna Coffee House with the quality that baristas, and I don't talk Starbucks, I talk mm-hmm. about the high-end places like Four Barrel in San Francisco. Combining that is something that they do in coffee, and wherever you can build an experience economy, whether it's coffee or any other field, this is where we're going to win with the new marketing. Thank you very much. And Florian, what flavor is your favorite wherever you are right now? What do you what, what do you love to drink, or is something after the show? What's in the cup? After the show, I'm probably going, going to, because it's very hot in Vienna. I'm probably going to be go to one of the wine places where you can sit outside. But for coffee, uh, it's definitely coffee that is not roasted to death. Okay, we're getting a, getting some good coffee pointers. Thank you very much. Jill Rowley, where are you calling from today, and what's in your cup? Sure, I'm calling from San Francisco Bay Area, and I am a lucky gal in that uh, when my husband is in town, he brings me coffee in bed every morning, mm. um, and I get to catch up on my social channels, my Twitter feeds, and my LinkedIn homepage updates while I'm getting adjusted to the morning and consuming my coffee in bed. And so um, I'm having water right now because I need to hydrate after I have dehydrated from my delicious coffee in bed. And, Jill, we have to know, what is the flavor of that coffee in bed? Come on, tell us. <laughs> well, I do admit it's, it's plain coffee but with French vanilla creamer. But my favorite, which I, I limit the amount that I consume because of the high calories, is actually um, a white chocolate mocha with whipped cream. Oh, be still my heart. That sounds like a good winter drink. I'll remember that for the next cold winter here in New York. Thank you. And Jamie Anderson, where are you calling from? In the U.K. You're somewhere in the vast U.K. And what are you drinking right now, Jamie? Go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm calling from, the, I'm calling from the, the city of revolution. I'm calling from Stirling in the heart of, uh, in the heart of Scotland. I'm looking at the moment onto the Wallace Monument. You know, so I'm celebrating Scotland's greatest freedom fighter right now as I sit and sip a beautiful cup of green tea laced with ginger. So so there you go. I'm actually putting a little bit of spice in that as well. So I'm feeling kind of hot and spicy and revolutionary today. How does that sound? <laughs> we love it when our guests feel hot, spicy, and revolutionary. Couldn't have put it better. <laughs> Guess what? You've all, you've all been working so hard. I'm going to give you a break, pour another cup, and do whatever you need. We're going to take a break for about 90 seconds. I am Bonnie D. Graham here on HR Trends with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. If you're keeping track, this is Season 2, show number 12, and today is Tuesday. Tuesday, June 10th, 2014. The show will be recorded, and you can find us in a couple of hours at our website, and we'll tell you more about that later. I'm talking with Doug Kern at Enfusion, Florian Brody at Brody & Partners, Jill Rowley at JillRowley.com, Jamie Anderson at SAP, and our topic today, if you haven't guessed, is upskilling for marketing in the cloud. Are you ready? Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad, out. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Just saying on the break, I think we need two hours for this show. We have such a packed house, a great panel, a lot of insights here, and want to make sure we get them all. So let's get started on our roundtable. We're going to go for about 25 minutes nonstop, no breaks, and let's kick it off with Doug Kern at Enfusion. Doug, in your notes before the show, you told me, and our panel already agrees, customers have dramatically changed how they explore, learn, and shop, driven by the tidal waves we've already discussed of search, social, and mobile. And here's what I want to focus on, Doug. Today, 60% of the purchase decision is made before you even talk to a salesperson. That's dramatic. That's part of the revolution. Why don't you open this up for conversation, Doug, and then we'll invite the rest of the panel to chime in. Go ahead, Doug Kern. Hey, thanks, Bonnie. So, yeah, that's that about 60% of the purchase decision uh, being made before talking to a, a brand or a salesperson uh, has huge implications uh, for marketers. Um, so we've been talking about uh, this concept of you know not spraying and praying con- uh, content out, and the, one of my favorite quotes around that is "solve, don't shill." I think that's Ann Henley at uh, Marketing Profs. Uh, mm-hmm. You know this idea of needing to uh, solve your your customers and your audiences' issues first before talking about um, you know any of your stuff. Um, and so as customers go online and they leverage Google and they talk to their friends and they get word of mouth and they trust even strangers more than uh, CEOs or brands, it has huge implications uh, for content and how you engage. So uh, you need to have your, your, your digital presence needs to reflect your brand in a way that is engaging, uh, that is consistent across touch points and is really addressed to those personas that you're trying to talk to in your audience and what they care about, not what you care about. So uh, uh, it's a huge shift. Um, and you know, as the you know this 60% number gets batted around, some as high as 80%, uh, the implications for content and how you can really lay that out in an engaging way has used huge repercussions for uh, all your digital touch points. So I'll, I'll stop with there and let others chime in. 
Okay, Doug, and I just want to bring in one more point from Doug's talking points. He says, consumers trust friends, even complete strangers, more than CEO or CEOs or brands. That sounds damning to me. Uh, Florian Brody, why don't you comment on what Doug discussed, and then we will have Jill and Jamie chime in at any point. Go ahead, Florian. Um, you know, Doug, <clears throat> this is so interesting uh, that uh, we are fully aware a complete stranger, even if you never met the person, um, and you ask him, what do you think about product X? He has a personal opinion, and he has zero interest whether you buy it or not. Mm. The CEO of company X says, I'm going to tell you whatever I need to tell you so you buy my product. And uh, what is missing, and this is where we have the opportunity to, uh, to significantly improve, is when I know whether this complete stranger um, actually even likes coffee, to stay with the topic, and that helps us better understand his or her opinion. So I, I think this, you make a very, very strong point here. Jill Rowley, thoughts? Good point from uh, Florian. Terrific point. Jill, agree, disagree? Uh, I agree. I think the more you know the customer, the better you can serve and help the customer. And uh, today, there's no excuse for not better knowing the customer because there's so much information that the customer is putting out there about him or herself, about his or her company, about his or her industry. And, you know, I think from, um, from a, a, a sales perspective, in terms of engaging with the modern customer, if you're not going to LinkedIn and you're not going to Twitter and you're not going to where your customers are to find out more about your customer, I always say be where your buyer is, offline at events, online in social networks, hashtag all the time. And the thing is, is that the, the customer's already learned about you and your company. So what you need to bring to the customer is how it, it really relates to his or her world. And so, you know, there's no excuse for not going to LinkedIn and or Twitter or any other place where your customer is putting information out there about themselves. And this is a very different world than when, you know, I started in sales where we didn't have social networks like LinkedIn and Twitter. So the only way that I could find out information about the people within a company was to go to the company website. But on the company website, you only have the executive management team. Right. You didn't have the marketing manager, the email specialist, the database analyst. And so now you do. Now you have access to find out who's who in whatever zoo you're selling into. And, mm-hmm. um, and so you've got to come prepared and not prepared to talk about how great you are and how you know, great your products are and how many awards you've won and what countries you're in, but how you make your customer great. Jill, whose job is it to find that information? Jamie's going to chime in next. But whose job is it? I know if you think of late-night TV and you think Letterman or Leno or, or Fallon come out, they've got producers who sift through and get all of the juice and the good stuff on the guests so that the host is prepared. Is that salesperson in charge of doing all their own preparation? Do you need a team to sift through all this social data, Jill, to find out what really is the meat on the bones that matters to a particular customer or a particular department in a company? Whose job? Is it? Well, I think that's a phenomenal question, Bonnie. And I think at the end of the day, it's whomever owns the revenue responsibility, right? At the end of the day, if you're on the hook for bringing in the revenue, then it's your job. Whether you do the job or not, whether you find tools, 
or people or process to help you do the job, um, at the end of the day, you're, ha- you're held accountable. Now, I think that marketing can absolutely better scale and operationalize and support mm-hmm. sales in this search for information, in particular around who influences the buyer. So if you think about, I talk about a social surround strategy. I, I talk about sales professionals socially surrounding not only the buyer and the buying committee, but their sphere of influence. Who does that buyer trust? Where do they learn? So who are the bloggers, the journalists, the analysts, the thought leaders, the third-party consultants that that buyer learns from and trusts? And I think salespeople need to socially surround the influencers and not only socially surround, but share that content, the content from the influential people who the buyers already trust. And so Mm -hmm. I think that there are um, tools, and I know there are tools out there that can help operationalize and scale that influencer identification, that social surround of the influencers, and that ability to curate and share. I say, I'm down with OPC. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with other people's content. And marketing can help salespeople find that OPC, that other people thought leadership, third-party content Mm -hmm. that they can share across their social networks. Thank you, Jill. Jamie Anderson, I know you have a lot to say on all of this. Jump in, and what are your thoughts? <laughs> I think there's one big theme comes out of you know what what Duke said there, and um, for me, it's authenticity. I think that's what mm-hmm. customers are searching for. Um, that's why they trust strangers. You know, that's why they look for credible sources of information. They don't believe company websites. I mean, frankly, all companies invest you know uh, an extraordinary amount of money developing websites and in many cases, you know, kind of making them better and more traversable. But the content they put in the website still can be quite embarrassing. And I think, you know, customers (laughs) see beyond that now. And they know they've been sold to. They hate being sold to. It's like I always say, it's like, you know, nobody, nobody likes being sold to, but everybody likes to buy. So they're going to find the way that gets them to the decision to that buying point. And I think, you know, we as marketers need to be more aligned to that. And I, I mentioned the kind of whole customer journey. We need to understand that it starts way, way beyond the hit our property, whether it's a physical property or a digital property. So I think, for me, the key takeaway and what Doug said was really authenticity. I think that's what people look for. Thank you, Jamie. And you know what? I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. I want to pick up some points Florian Brody sent me before the show because I want to talk about who the marketers are, who they should be as this revolution evolves. So I'm going to quote some interesting information from Florian and then have Florian lead this conversation thread. Florian Brody says, Today, the job profile for marketers on all levels is ripe with requirements and competence in metrics, SEM, SEO, data analysis, etc., and not without reason. And then he says, marketers need a solid understanding of psychology, sociology, mm-hmm. and branding and design. And it goes, that's a big job description. Florian, who fits the bill? Who, who, for whom are companies looking to meet all of these requirements? Please start this off. Um, thanks for that. Um, it is there are people out there who can do that, and um, let's go uh, from get a, for a moment away from technology companies. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever went into a store in a bazaar to look at carpets, you have in front of a marketing salesperson 
who immediately knows who you are. Never met you. Immediately knows who you are. Fifth generation marketing sales in carpets. And they will sell you the carpet that you want. It will take hours, lots of cups of coffee or tea, mostly tea. <laughs> but these people have the, the social competence and the awareness to have a feeling what you need. Now, this is, of course, completely different when you sell a complex, software, uh, complex piece of software to a, a chief information officer. But at the same time, um, we find today people who are not necessarily thoroughbred marketing people, who are people who have a much wider field of expertise. And um, I'm teaching at multiple universities in uh, Europe and the U.S., and I'm training my students to have this wide view, take classes in psychology, understand how people think, how they, rea how they react, how groups of people um, act. And I believe there is a difference between what you want and what you need. And we've all been in a situation where somebody says, ah, don't buy this, you don't need that. And that's the person, that's the salesperson you trust. You have this feeling they don't just do everything to make you buy this product. I and love that picture. I, I love the mm -hmm. picture you painted because you've taken us out of the revolution way back to another place in time, another culture, Florian. Jill Rowley, thoughts on, on this beautiful picture that Florian just painted for us? Yeah, I agree with him. I think that um, it's actually it's overwhelming to think about all that marketing has actually on their plate, um, all the channels, uh, all the all the, the the different types of communication vehicles, and I think in on, on top of psychology, anthropology is a good area to to study in terms of mm -hmm. understanding um, how things come to be and and how they they interact with each other. Um, I, I think one of the the big challenges that we have in moving from always be closing pitchy pitchy selly selly to always be serving and helping the buyer. Um, and being an educator and a facilitator, um, one of the biggest challenges we have is that a lot of these companies are public, and Wall Street expects not only you to meet your projections but to exceed them. And mm -hmm. and so every you know every time you try to course correct and actually take a longer term view to building authentic relationships with your buyers based on trust and not letting them buy if they're not ready. If they don't have the right people with the right skill set, if they don't have the right um, um, alignment between departments that are required to coordinate to actually be successful with the product, if they don't have the right like foundational data to support um, what it is the product can actually do with the data, then the job of the salesperson is to not let them buy, but it's to keep getting them to the point of readiness to buy. But the challenge is they got to make the number. And, mm -hmm. and it's and, and this is this. Yep. How do we solve this? Mm -hmm. How do we take a timeout? How do we stop and and say, <laughs> you know what? We're going to actually serve the needs of the customer, the longer term needs of the customer, and not the shorter term needs of Wall Street. That's mm -hmm. a tough one. That that's a tough challenge. Florian, I hear you, and then Jamie, I want to hear you too. Go ahead, Florian. Um, in Austria, we have this, in Austria we have this thing about the guy who sells a milking machine to the farmer and takes the only cow in payment. And uh, we've all been there. Um, it's, um, uh, Jill, I totally agree. Um, we are in this economic environment where 
it's all about closing the deal. The guy who closes the deal, the guy who sells more, faster, better, is the winner. And um, back in the 80s, when I worked a lot uh, on multimedia with a major uh, computer brand uh, in Europe, uh, my biggest successes were always when I could say, look, you buy it, you don't buy it. I have zero interest. I don't make any money when you buy this thing or not. I would recommend A or B. And this is how people trust. Uh, same thing when you, when you go to a restaurant and you ask the girl, what should I take? And she says, oh, everything is good. Then mm-hmm. she's completely competent. If she says, take the, uh, the chicken marinara. I mean, she may say it because there is too much chicken in the kitchen or because it has That's to right. go. But you still feel like she's helping you decide. Okay. Jamie Anderson, I want you in on this. Thoughts? Well, there's two thoughts that I want to that I, that I want to put over. Um, you know, first of all, again, thank you, Jill. Um, I I said on a previous game changers a while ago, actually, somebody said, you know, what's kind of killing innovation? And I said, well, I think the number one thing that's killing innovation in in, in business is uh, the fact that most companies are slaves to Wall Street and are actually simply not, you know, uh, courageous enough at the top to make the necessary changes to the business. You know, that's and particularly in established companies, I think that's very, very true. They are slaves. They're slaves to the number and slaves to hitting the guidance. And somewhere along the line, someone needs to stand up and say, do you know what? We're going on a perpetual journey here that's neither driving us nor our customers forward, and we're going to make a change. If you're with us, you will be in for the long haul, and you will make the money out of the long haul. But too much of, the, too much of that business now is about short. And that's really killing innovation. And I think it's killing, you know, what we're trying to do on a global level. So uh, so that's a concern. So I'm glad you brought that up. So you got me fired up with that one. The other well, one, um, the, the other one for me is psychology. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Florine. I mean, I realized there was a reason I ended up in marketing. I actually went to uni. I did computing science and physics. And I realized as I was approaching second year that I may never, ever, ever meet a woman in my life if I carried down on that journey. And in second year, <laughs> when it was coming down to choices for, for minors, um, I chose psychology because, well, there was a really good ratio of women on the psychology course. And I actually, I actually got top marks in my year, uh, despite the fact that it was actually a minor. I really loved it. And I studied the psychology of business as an option and how organizational behavior happens and how ecosystems form and how you go about trying to establish change in companies. And I'll tell you, I still believe that whether you're B2B or whether you're B2C, buying decisions are ultimately made emotionally and they're made potentially within the first one or two meetings. And then what people do is they go back and they find statistics to actually validate decisions that they made many, many weeks or months in advance of the ultimate decision. So I think emotional and understanding and having the emotional intelligence to transform your marketing organization and your company is so very, very important. Great points, Jamie. Jill, I want to go in a slightly different direction here, but really a segue from the topic we're talking about, who should be in marketing in this new age of marketing in the cloud. Uh, In your notes, Jill, you said many cutting-edge brands have come to the same realization. The path to social business lies through empowering the social employee. So we're talking about whose job is it anyway. Jill Rowley, 
who is the social employee? Where do they work? What are their skills? Are they high up? Are they brand new? Are they millennials? Are they in the C-suite? Who are they? They're, they're everyone. They're everywhere. And if you think about um, really thinking through the whole who do buyers trust and them not trusting your brand, your company, your ads, your marketing messages, but them trusting other people, um, people who have subject matter expertise, who understand um, deeply the problems that um, your customer is trying to solve, um, it's it's any employee, and if you if you really think through, I, when I was at Oracle for ten months and seventeen days, I was driving the social selling initiative where I was an activating and enabling our twenty three thousand sales professionals on how to build relationships based on authenticity and trust and giving a value, um, and that was I was just really trying to get. The, the, the sales force to be where their buyers were in social networks. But the reality is the bigger opportunity was with the 125,000 employees. And the challenge, though, again, that big old companies have, especially companies like Oracle, that they're still growing. They're operating at a 46% operating margin. They don't see a problem. At the top, they don't see a problem necessarily, or they're just, they don't know how to fix the problem and what the, the, the reality is, is, is they're afraid. It's a control issue. And controlling what the employee can say, how they can say it, and where they can say it, that's old school. That's not modern. And modern is really allowing the personalities and voices of all of your employees to be heard and expressed. And brand advocacy, right? If you if you love working at a company, then why wouldn't you want to be socially activated across your networks to be able to communicate the great things that your company stands for? You know, if your company has purpose beyond profit and your company does great things to help underprivileged children or to um, give back to the tech community or to um, nurture women along their career paths or whatever it is, why wouldn't you want to share that enthusiasm for mm-hmm. the company across your social networks? You would, but I don't think enough mm-hmm. companies understand that, that the employee being active on social, it, it has to be authentic. Going back to what, to what Jamie and Florian and Doug have all said, this isn't modern trickery. This isn't, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't, you know, using social as a as another channel for spamming your generic messages. Social is a channel to build relationships, to add value, to be a trusted resource. And the social employee is every employee in your organization that you can activate and enable um, to share their their knowledge, their passion, their expertise. Uh, across their social networks. Thank you, Jill. So well put. Doug Kern, I'd like to hear from you. Thoughts on what Jill just shared with us, please. Yeah, absolutely agree with uh, Jill around the the notion of social employees and impact. And I would put that into kind of two buckets. Uh, The Mm -hmm. first bucket I think Jill touched on is around trust and and engagement. Um, You know, those employees, as they're on social networks, they're more likely to be trusted um, to the people they interact with than a brand, than, than, than the corporate handle on, on social. Um, so they can, and this acts, uh, is, 
particularly effective in crisis mode when a, a, a social employee can stand up or answer a question quickly and kind of uh, uh, tap into that uh, the dialogue during a, a social crisis. The other big impact is around reach um, and who those social employees uh, interact with in their social ecosystem, their friends and followers. I think there was a, a little study done uh, by Dell, uh, which is based here in Austin, where they looked at the corporate social ecosystem and their most active social employees. And they were expecting quite a bit of overlap between those two sets of audience, kind of that Venn diagram. But they were surprised. I think there was less than 10% overlap in terms of the kind of the, the reach of the audience of the, the corporate social and the reach of uh, the audience of the, the social employees. So you've got this opportunity to, in, to engage a, a new set of individuals and, and audience and get the word out. Thank you very much, Doug. You know what? We're going to skip our last break. That's a news flash from my panel because we only have nine minutes left till the close of the show. And you know we need time for predictions. But I have one more topic I want to squeak in here. I'm going to ask Jamie Anderson to address this because this was in your notes. Everybody gets a fair turn here, Jamie. You know that. The note is <laughs> customer service is the new marketing. It's like orange is the new black. We won't go there. Customer service is the new marketing. So talk to me briefly, Jamie, and I'll tell you you what a heads up to the panel i'm inviting you all back for part two to come on my coffee break with game changers show and you'll get an invitation would you all like to come back and do part two because there's just not enough time agree absolutely good okay there's the invitation it's been tendered live on the radio so jamie anderson quickly customer service is the new marketing just explain this to us and then we're quickly we have eight minutes left i'm going to give everybody 90 seconds for predictions jamie two minutes go Sure. For me, it is the ultimate test of brand promise. It's the ultimate test of authenticity. It tends to be when something goes wrong or the customer reaches out and needs some kind of help. It's a very direct call. It's the opportunity to get it right. Now, if you are a company that has empowered, you know, in many ways what we've spoken about today, if you've empowered your people socially to interject and help, then that can be an amazing experience for the customer. You know, I thought what was really interesting was there was an American Express survey that stated that 86% of customers are willing to pay more for mm-hmm. a better service. And when you take that into account, that's the point at which smart companies can stop looking at the customer service and the customer-facing staff as a cost center and a burden of some type. This is an opportunity to differentiate your brand live your brand promise, make a difference, and crucially, actually make some money and put some value behind what it is you do. So, I mean, I think that's, that's kind of what I mean when I talk about that. Thank you, Jamie. Great point. We'll, we'll continue that on part two in a couple of months. Let's go to our roundtable segment called Crystal Ball, What's Coming Next? I'm going to ask my panel. We'll start with Doug, then Florian, Jill, and Jamie. I've got seven minutes left. I need 45 seconds to close the show, so we're in, in push mode here. Now, question is, if we met again, forget about part two. If we met again in six years on 2020, in that year, what would you be saying about this revolution we're calling the new age of market? Marketing in the cloud. What will transpire in the next six years? Doug Kern, I'm going to give you 90 seconds. Give me your predictions. Go. Okay, predictions 2019. I think a lot of what we'll be hearing then is less 
prefixes in front of marketing will be less social marketing or mobile marketing or even email marketing. And it'll just be marketing because I think it'll be such a standard part of what we do. Oh, okay. That's brief and to the point. Thank you very much. More time for Florian Brody. Florian, what do you see is coming down the pike? You can do 2019 or you can do 2020 because we all know that's hindsight is 2020. So what do you say? 2020. Um, marketing and sales will have changed roles. Um, it will be marketing who provides the necessary brand and product information to a customer, to a consumer, to um, select, identify, and decide which products, which services she or he needs. Uh, the market will be driven by the uh, by the buyer, not by the seller. And uh, while the uh, business structure that we have today, where everything is driven by quarters and uh, and stock exchanges and shareholders, will not have completely changed, Mm -hmm. there will be a deep understanding that the bottom line benefits when you actually uh, allow the customer to buy what she needs rather than to sell them what the company needs to have been sold. Okay. Thank you very much, Florian. Very articulate. And let's go to Jill Rowley. Jill, predictions, do you want 2019 or you don't want 2020? I'll sell you either one. And a bridge. <laughs> I'll take and a bridge. 2020. I'll take 2020 because I have a, I have a stat for you. And um, by 2020, 50, 50% of the world's workforce will be the millennials. And the millennials are between the ages of 18 and 34. And not only will 50% of the workforce be millennials by 2020, 50% 50 of the workforce will be remote as well. So we have a massive transformation in the workforce that's occurring. And that, um, you know, the millennials, if you think about them, Generation Y, they're digital natives. They're born mobile. They're born social. They're born with unlimited access to information and people. They are not going to become like us, the older generation, we're going to have to become more like them. We're going to have to become more collaborative, transparent, responsive, engaged, and where they are, which is in social. The other thing that I want to predict, and I really hope that I'm um, right, it's going to take a lot of change to do this, but a couple things. Um, Territory models for sales should be based on social proximity, not based on geography, zip code, starts with the letter A. I think if we agree that people buy from people they know they like, they trust, then why aren't we assigning opportunities and accounts to um, people and sales reps based on the relationships that they have? We we didn't do it before because the data didn't exist, but the data is, is now there. And so we can measure that proximity of the relationship and the strength of the relationship much better. So I think we're going to see transformation in territory models. But what I'd also like to see is transformation in compensation models. And what I mean by that is, you know, so much is moving to the cloud and it's a subscription and it's an ongoing relationship, but salespeople are paid for the close. They're paid for the close of the deal, whether that deal creates a positive patty, someone who is willing to go out and advocate on your company, on your product, on your salesperson's behalf, mm-hmm. and they're paid the same amount if that deal relates um, and turns into a negative Nancy, someone who was oversold and underdelivered. 
And so I think we're going to start to see, hopefully, change in compensation models in terms of compensating for advocacy and the quality of the customer that is brought into the organization, but also a shift, a shift away from overcompensating the salesperson and moving some of that compensation and distributing that across the organization to marketing. So if Doug's stat is accurate, which I believe it is, it's a CEB stat, buyers are anywhere between 57 and 70% through their buying process before they engage with sales. Why isn't marketing getting paid more of the money? Because they're managing more of the process. Not only is marketing managing more of the process, so is post-sale. You have to onboard that customer. You have to deliver best practices. You have to train that customer, and you have to nurture that customer. So why is it that the customer success management team isn't sharing in the wealth of the customer as well? Thank you, Jill. Jill, I need need to give Jamie one minute. We're one minute till the end. Jamie, I give you 30 seconds for predictions. Talk to me quickly. Sorry, Jill. Go ahead, Jamie. Sure. I'll make this really easy. 2020, I want and I don't know if this will happen, but I want consumers to seize control of their own data. I want there to be a consumer network. I literally want them to own it, understand the value that it has. I want to see that happen because I think they need to seize back the control. There's far too much data, far too much talk of big data and people struggling with it. Well, I think there's a revolution coming. And if I look at years ahead, I'm looking at it. I love it. Another revolution. I'm going to get get you all back. I'll send you an invitation for a part two on Coffee Break. Guess what? We've been talking about upskilling for marketing in the cloud. Are you ready? If you listen to the past 58 minutes with Doug Kernan and Fusion, Florian Brody at Brody and Partners, Joe Rowley at JoeRowley.com and Jamie Anderson at SAP, you're a little closer to getting what this revolution means. I want to say a shout out to Mike Montalban, who's just been tweeting his fingers off, trying to capture all the words of wisdom. Thank you to Carolyn Cahoot for sponsoring this show. The series, Brad and the Business Channel team, thanks for getting us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Tomorrow I'll be here at 8 a.m. Pacific with Coffee Break with Game Changers. Our topic is related to today's social and content marketing, relishing relevance. Oh, I love relish. We'll be right back tomorrow right here on the Business Channel. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.